Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Part of why I want to introduce this person to you is because I think it's important that you as a congregation, as, as Bridget and I have come, that you know who has shaped my life. People that are voices that are very important to me. I want them to be important to you. There's not 10 of them. There's not 20 of them. There's just a handful of people that I believe carry something for us because they have definitely done that for me. And you might even hear a little bit of them in me, all these different individuals that have influenced me over the years. And I had the privilege of serving, as many of you know, at Mill Creek Foursquare Church for many years as an associate pastor, and I got to be an itinerant. And there was an individual there, the lead pastor of Mill Creek Foursquare. His name's Chris Manginelli, and he's one of my very best friends. And I can honestly tell you, I would not be who I am today without this man. He's not only one of my very best friends, most trusted persons in my life, but also he's a person that is directly responsible for my development in so many ways it would be hard to describe and, and give him the honor that he deserves. And that is not me schmoozing him or trying to make him feel better. That is to say that I am here in part because of, because of this man, and I recognize that. And so today I not only want to honor him, but I want to introduce Pastor Chris Manginelli to you as he comes and shares the word with us. We're going to break rules. We're going to break rules. Yeah. We broke rules. We broke rules. <laughs> Morning, Northwest. What a delight to be with you. And, and really, in many respects, an unanticipated delight. In that, I have a long admiration for your congregation. Long, long admiration. Yeah, I, I, I am delighted to be with you because I'm with, I'm with one of my dearest friends in the world. Pastor Ben, and I miss him immensely. You've gained a wonderful shepherd in Jesus. He remains my friend, but let's be honest, proximity matters, and your gain is my loss. Seriously, and I don't say that for you to feel sorry for me. It's more for me to express the place and space that he fulfills in my life. I miss him. And it's really good. I mean, I am enjoying the opportunity to share life with you via opening my life up and teaching. But honestly, the best part about this, this weekend is just being with my friend again. <laughs> it's very, very dear to me. I've had a long admiration for your congregation. This is a wonderful place. There is such a grace on Northwest Foursquare Church. And I, I transitioned to become lead pastor of Mill Creek Foursquare 14 and a half years ago. I was a young pastor, 29 years old, following a founding pastor who was very well loved. It was a difficult transition. In fact, if I'm completely transparent, which I'm going to try to be a lot, uh, I wouldn't do those first four years over again unless the Lord Jesus absolutely required it of me. <laughs> Transitions are difficult. You're experiencing that. Transitions are just difficult. Ours was difficult. But as I transitioned in, of course, I was just looking for voices that I could glean from, lives that I could emulate. And Pastor Steve Shell was one of those. In fact, he was near the top of the list. 
he opened up his life to other pastors. And so as a very young pastor, 29 years old, I would travel down from Mill Creek to Federal Way, and I would sit in the room that you utilized for your Bible college. And there, with a couple of handfuls of pastors, we would listen to Pastor Steve share his heart, his mind, unpack some of his teaching, and I would just go, Jesus, how do I become more like this man? Really? Steve became a hero to me. And I am of the considered opinion that Pastor Steve was the finest teaching pastor in our entire movement, without question, and how we need teaching pastors. And so I'm, I've, I've been a student, if you will, of this church. I have been a recipient of the tremendous ministry of this church because it's never just a pastor. It's always a pastor and the people. And your way has blessed my life. Your generosity has aided my life. Your exampling has helped our congregation. And so I, I am delighted to be with you. And when I say it's unexpected, it's in this context. I never thought I'd ever have the privilege of being invited to share from this stage where Pastor Steve shared for 28 years. <laughs> and I do not envy my dearest friend in following Pastor Steve. I followed a wonderful leader, and it's not easy. Casts a big shadow. But can I also just say this? That, that Pastor Ben is as fine a follower of Jesus as I have ever been associated with. I love this man. And the truth is, while he, if it, in a sense, this is fair to say, while he followed me, as a lead pastor for many years, I would gladly follow him anywhere. I trust him. The motivations of his life are all the kingdom of heaven. He craves the ministry of the Holy Spirit because we understand, he understands. Without the ministry of the Spirit, oh gosh. Pastoral ministry is an exercise in sin management without the Holy Spirit. And can I just be honest with you? That is the worst job ever. <laughs> but with the aid and ministry of the Spirit, not by might nor by power, not by human ingenuity, not by the strength of personality, but by my Holy Spirit. And this man lives that out. And so I, I am so thrilled that you have moved from Pastor Steve now to the leadership of Pastor Ben. And I trust that together you will have many years of fruitfulness and witness-bearing unto the kingdom of heaven here in Federal Way and regional influence. There is a grace on this church, and it is evidenced just by this. You had Pastor Steve. You now have Pastor Ben. And Bridget, by the way. What a marvelous woman of God. So, thank you. Thank you for your reception of them. Thank you for your way of welcoming them into your world. Because it's not just a pastor receiving a congregation, it's a congregation receiving a pastor. And that's, that's not the easiest thing. So thank you for your grace. You know, we can look all around our, our movement, we can look all around just at the church in the United States and see transitions done poorly. <laughs> I hate to admit that, but it's true. We don't always do church transitions well. But many of us are watching this transition, 
and we're able to point to it and say, they've done this well. The relationship between Pastor Steve and Pastor Ben, wow. I do not know of another local church that has that dynamic. And it speaks to both Steve and to Ben. So, Northwest Church, I'm immensely proud of you. As a local church shepherd, like, I'm just proud of you. I'm grateful to be in the same family of believers with you. And I just want to say, well done, and keep going. Keep going. The fact that in the first year of Ben's pastorate, COVID-19 settled on this congregation is blatantly unfair. I just, I'm just throwing the towel in, right? But there's grace here. So thanks be to God for it. This morning, I want to share with you a devotional teaching entitled, for those of you who are note takers, The Disposition of a Disciple. I believe in and deeply value the teaching of Scripture. One of the reasons I admire Steve so much is I have a teaching gift myself. And... I would normally really like to unpack a text of Scripture with you. We're going to do that a little bit. But really, this is born of my own time with the Lord, and that's why I call it a devotional teaching. I want to share with you things my heart has needed in this season and the ways in which Scripture has reminded me of my disposition as a disciple of Jesus. And what has benefited my heart, I am hopeful, will benefit yours today. So would you turn with me in your Bible, please, to Titus chapter 1. We'll read the beginning of Titus. Titus chapter 1, again, the disposition of a disciple. And I'll I'll admit to you that in the opening of this teaching, there's a fair amount of me. And I'm a bit uncomfortable with that because I'm not your local church shepherd. And ultimately, our true shepherd, Jesus, is the one you need to be focused on. But please know that in opening my life, my intention is to aid us in again beholding the beauty of our Savior. Okay? Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Abba. Thank you for the beauty of your presence. Jesus, you are beautiful. Mesmerizingly beautiful. And our commitment is to you. Indeed, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, here among us on earth, through us on earth as in heaven. Bless this outpost of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Pour your spirit out on Northwest Foursquare Church. And Lord, today, as we open up scripture in our lives, Holy Spirit, breathe. Bring renewal of minds catalyze our hearts afresh for you. Holy Spirit, we ask you ultimately to be our teacher. Whisper words of life to us. Open our ears that we would hear rightly. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that your commitment is that you will always lead us into the fullness of truth. And the fullness of truth is Jesus, our Lord. So Lord, we yield when we surrender. Teach us now in Jesus' name. And would you say with me, amen. Disposition. Oxford's dictionary defines disposition as, first, the predominant or prevailing tendency of one's spirit 
natural mental and emotional outcome or mood or characteristic attitude. An example, a girl with a pleasant disposition. Secondly, it's defined as a state of mind regarding something, an inclination. An example, a disposition to gamble. Thirdly, Oxford Dictionary defines this as a physical inclination or tendency like the disposition of ice to melt when heated. Notice the words, tendency of spirit, natural mental and emotional outlook, characteristic attitude or inclination. In other words, disposition essentially means or is about who we tend to be the vast majority of the time, who we tend to be most of the time. So with that as our functional definition, I can identify myself as an introvert and a pessimist. Introvert and pessimist. Now, there are also extroverts and optimists, right? I'm an introvert and I'm a pessimist, or as I like to define myself, I am a realist. <laughs> because by goodness, we live in a hard, hard, cruel world. Have you? Okay, first, let me just do this. How many of us are introverts? How many join me in really loving a good book? Mm -hmm. Okay, how many of us are extroverts? I bless God for you extroverts, because you extroverts help pull all of us introverts into circles of relationship. God bless you. Us introverts have a few things to teach you extroverts too as well. But, okay, introverts, extroverts, how many of you are optimists? All right. How many of you are realists, pessimists? Come on, come on. We need each other, friends. We need each other. And all of the pessimists in this room will agree with me when I say that when you're around a hyper-optimist, sometimes you just want to slap them. <laughs> Not in anger, but to help them realize that more is at stake than they are talking about. Disposition. Sometimes introverts have relational moments. In fact, sometimes we often have relational moments. And sometimes us pessimists can really get optimistic, and vice versa. Sometimes an extrovert actually does get tired of people. And sometimes an optimist hits deep moments of discouragement and struggle. We are not always one way but we do have a disposition. Disposition, who we are most of the time. When it comes to who I am in the midst of what I do, my disposition for 21 years has been that I love being a pastor, a local shepherd of a group of people on our way towards Jesus. I love being a pastor. And I have loved this for nearly all of my vocational years. This isn't the only job I've had, but it's the longest one by far. I'm 44 years old. I've been in vocational ministry for 21 years. I love being a pastor. It was, it was at 16 that I discerned what I would articulate as a call to ministry. You'll hear many who are in the work of missions or pastoring or, or teaching there are numerous vocations where we often will hear an articulation of calling. 
I can articulate a call. I remember I was 16 years old, and I was on an outreach with a, a summer of service through YWAM in southern Utah. We were there witnessing on the streets during the Mormon miracle pageant in Manti, Utah. And that's where somebody asked me, Chris, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, more than what I want to do, I think Jesus wants me to be a pastor. And it was the first time those words came tumbling out of my mouth. But the moment those words came out of my mouth, something happened in here. Something catalyzed. Something settled. My heart burned. And I came home from that experience and I told my mom and dad, I think Jesus wants me to be a pastor. And together we said, okay, what do we do? Bible college. So at 17, I left for Bible college and I have not looked back. My hand has been to the plow, training for ministry, engaging in ministry while in college, moving into vocational ministry because opportunities were presented to me. I have served in California, Oregon, and now for 14 and a half years in the greater Seattle area. I love being a pastor. I love it. Why? What a privilege to walk alongside people unto our true shepherd, Jesus. We are under shepherds, entrusted. We're stewards. That's what pastors are. We're stewards of this sacred ground, this holy ground that is you. And the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you, shaping you and molding you into the image you've been created in, the image of God. What a privilege. Pastoral ministry is a place where pain is processed. Wholeness is engaged. Where stories are shared. Pastoral ministry is a place where vulnerabilities and fears are admitted where forgiveness is sought and celebrated. Pastoral ministry is a place for careful listening and merciful engagement and considered direction in Jesus for a life entrusted to our care. Oh, it's sacred. It's beautiful. May the fear of God always be upon us in this place. But it's so wonderful. I, I have loved walking alongside God's people towards his son Jesus, our true shepherd. What a privilege. This is my disposition in what I do. <laughs> and then 2020. That's just our line, isn't it? And then 2020. I have not loved being a pastor in 2020. To the point that honestly, I come to you this weekend, much like the Apostle Paul wrote of his visit with the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, I did not come to you in the fullness of wisdom or profundity. I did not come to you in strength. And in fact, the only thing I came to you in was this, that I was committed to know Christ as crucified. And I came to you in weakness and with trembling. Yeah, I'm, I'm unsettled right now. I'm hurting. There have been a lot of losses in 2020. And a lot of the losses feel unfair, unjust, unrighteous. It's been painful. I have not loved being a pastor in 2020. 
COVID-19 mixed with racial tensions and riots, competing views on sociological ideologies, an upcoming election with all sorts of political posturing that, if we're honest, competes for the affections of those we serve. To the point that wearing a mask now is a statement. Not wearing a mask is a statement. When really it's just simple. It's not about protecting myself. It's about protecting someone else in case I'm carrying something I don't know. It's just simple. But we've made it anything but simple. And all sorts of attitudes and perspectives therein. Oh, it's just left me greatly challenged in my disposition towards my calling and my purpose in life. Because I'm just asking, what are we doing? At the end of all of this, if this is what crisis does, if this is what it illumines about us, what are we doing? What is this? (laughs) I have to confess to you, as I have my own congregation, or better said, the congregation that Jesus has entrusted me to serve. I've wondered, do I want to keep doing this? Honestly, do I want to keep doing this? And I've thought, I do not need this. I don't need this. Another line that I've heard from so many people, I am over this. Mm-hmm. I'm over this. And I've considered, you know, what else would I do? I worked at Bank of America for six years. Being a new accounts representative is a lot less pressurized than this. What else would I do? This season has been the singularly greatest challenge I've known to my pastoral heart. And in the midst of feeling much and not being sure how to feel about my feelings. Have you been there? Are you there now? Feeling so much and really not even being sure how to feel about what I feel. (laughs) Should I feel guilty? I don't know. And all of that, there's just, there's Jesus. And the beauty of Jesus. And the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. And thanks be to God for the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, because without the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, I would be done. I think most of us would be. As I recently spent time in Scripture, I was reminded about my disposition as a pastor. Thanks be to God. But all that much more fundamentally, even more importantly, I was reminded about my disposition as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower. Before I'm a pastor, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I want to follow him with all my being. I've needed this reminder. And I shared some of these things with the congregation I served several months ago. But can I just be honest with you? It was several months ago. And I'm sharing this again with you as much for my own heart's benefit as any of yours. I'm preaching what I need to be living right now. Through these reminders... I reflect on the fact that I'm not a pastor because I think it's a good idea. I'm not a pastor simply because I like it. I didn't pursue ministry for its economic benefits. I'm a pastor simply and truly because of Jesus, who when I was 16 did something in here, and he's done it again, and he's done it again, and he's done it again, and I need him to do it again. Because of Jesus, because he made me 
one who's able to shepherd others unto him. And if this is what he wants for me and from me, then he will get it. Then he shall have it. Because he's master and Lord. Nothing and no one else. And it's places like Titus 1 that remind me about this. So I want us to go there. We're going to move quickly through some context and study. I practice the reading of Scripture every day. And some of you may be like me and utilizing the tool known as the Life Journal to help you process Scripture systematically. I found that without a tool, I just read the Psalms and Philippians all the time. <laughs> Love Philippians. But with the Life Journal, devotionally, I read the Old Testament once a year and the New Testament twice in a year. It's just a tool to help the whole counsel of God shape my thinking and my life. And so it was in July that I found myself in Titus. And, and Titus was penned by the Apostle Paul to a man he identifies as a true son in the faith, a man named Titus. He was a Greek Christian who had been alongside Paul in critical moments of challenge during his journeys. And now Paul had assigned Titus to the island of Crete, a large island off the coast of Greece, smack in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, to restore order to a number of small churches, house churches. Now, Cretan culture was notorious within the Roman world. Think of some landing spots even in our own nation or in our world. Think of Vegas and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and you might be along the lines of the Cretan reputation within the Roman world. It was known to be one of these spots. Cretans were known in general, according to ancient Greek literature, as liars. They valued the ability to manipulate and scheme towards self-gain and promotion. They were marked by greed and treachery, violence and sexual, sexual corruption. It was, Crete was, however, due to its location and many strategic harbors all around the island going all over the Roman world, it was a very strategic place for the gospel. And Paul was good at strategy. So he went there, and he started churches there. And others went from Crete to other places in the Roman world. And so these churches started, but at some place along their story, these churches largely came under the influence of corrupt Cretan leaders. They said they were followers of Jesus, but their presence and leadership was entirely toxic within these congregations, and Paul was very concerned. So he sent one of his most trusted associates, this true son in the faith as he identifies him, Titus, to go and essentially begin to clean up the mess. Titus, go clean up the mess. This is your mission. I need you to help bring order into these outposts of the kingdom of heaven on this island. And this, this letter is, is his instruction manual. That's what Titus is. It's a pastoral instruction manual in a place that's been a bit toxic. And it's Paul's introduction to Titus, just the first four verses that I want to look with you at, that really grabbed my heart in July, that I meditated upon and prayed through afresh. It's these that I want to present to you today and then make a few observations. Let's read Titus chapter 1, 
verses 1 through 4, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So let's make some observations about these four verses quickly. The opening paragraph of this letter, which we've just read, displays the three usual parts of a salutation in an ancient Greek letter. The writer, the reader, and then the greeting. And in verse 1, we, of course, learn that the author is none other than the Apostle Paul. And here, immediately, he introduces his self-view, if you will. The way in which he discerns, the disposition of his heart regarding who he is in Christ. And he describes himself as a bondservant of God. This is the Greek word doulos, which you may be familiar with, because, again, you've been taught tremendously over the years. This is a word often translated as slave or servant. Here it reads bondservant. Some of your translations may be slave, others may be servant. These are all appropriate translations. And while the word slave in an American context is tremendously demeaning, please know slavery wasn't a, a desired destination in the Roman world. It was also demeaning, not quite to the same degree it is in our context. So why? If slavery is demeaning, why would Paul use it? Why would Paul say he's a bondservant? Because in his view, he's actually proclaiming something ennobling. It's the opposite of the context we normally would understand it. Because Paul was not forced into this. This was Paul's chosen response to the initiating love and work of Jesus for him. Based on what you've done for me, I'm a doulos. And by the way, Paul's not alone. Read the letter of James. James, a doulos of Jesus. Peter, a doulos of Jesus. This seems to be the early apostolic view. What's my disposition as a disciple of Jesus? Oh, I'm just a doulos. And rather than it be diminishing, it, it's ennobling. This is based on many points of ministry uh, between Jesus and his disciples, but one such place is found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. I want to take you there very quickly. It's the moment, of course, when James and John ask to sit at the left and right hand of Jesus when he enters into the fullness of his kingdom, right? These places of authority and status, the chief places of status alongside the king. So after Jesus addresses directly James and John, he then has to deal with the fallout among the other 10 because there was fallout. And let's read of that here, Mark 10, verses 41 through 45. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to be great, to become great among you shall be your servant. 
doulos. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul then, in asserting his self-view in the midst of a world God had placed him in, he's simply saying this, I am just fulfilling the words of my Savior Jesus. I'm a servant. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. Whatever he gives me to do, that's what I'll do. Whatever he's saying, that's what I'm going to say. I'm his agent in this world now. I have determined that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but he, he now lives within me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm his agent. I'm dependent on him. This is the way of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of broken planet earth. This is the way of a disciple of Jesus in the midst of a raging culture. And let it be said again, as Jesus has always taught, that authority in the kingdom comes one way, and it comes through the service of others in the name of Jesus. The service of others in the name of Jesus. We see in verse 1, that Paul is next able to identify himself as an apostle of Jesus, as a doulos, a servant slave of Jesus. He's now been given the assignment of being a sent one, the literal meaning of apostle, one who is equipped as a sent one, a messenger to bring benefit and upbuilding to those who belong to God through Jesus. And why was he sending this message to Titus and the followers of Jesus? On the island of Crete? Well, he makes plain, I'm sending this message for the furtherance of their faith and their knowledge of the truth, ultimately to lead them more into godliness. That's, that's more Amadoulos, who's called right now to be an apostle, and accordingly, I'm sending this instruction to aid the people of Crete in their growth of godliness. Hmm. Verse 4, we learn of both the reader and the greeting. The reader, of course, is Titus. And Titus is described by Paul as his true child in the common faith. And this is a beautiful statement for several reasons. First, Paul has directly discipled Titus up in following Jesus. And thus he, he utilizes fatherly language in speaking of him. He's not just connected to him as two people following Jesus together, but there is this sense in which Paul says, Titus knows my heart, I know his. And there's this fathering implication here. I know this man's heart. And second, this reference to a common faith is really remarkable in light of their differing ethnicity. Paul's a Jew and Titus is a Gentile. He's a Greek. And yet they belong together in Christ to the point that now a Jewish man can say of a Gentile, he's my true son in the faith. The two, as Paul writes elsewhere, have truly become one. Such is the power and the beauty of the ministry of Jesus. And then we read the basic common Christian greeting of grace and peace, which for us students of Scripture, as, as we're observing texts, we may be very quick to pass over these. Well, it's just a salutation, you know what I mean? And it's pretty much all over Paul's letters and some of Peter's. Do not pass over the common Christian greeting. It's based on the high priestly blessing upon the people of God. 
from numbers. Grace and peace to you. Same thing. Grace is the unearned favor of God, now ours through Jesus, that is actively at work in the life of every believer. And peace is that which flows out of grace. It's the resultant experience of well-being inwardly, the shalom of God, inwardly finding its way, physically finding its way, the peace of God through the redemption of Jesus that we are experiencing. So from our earliest Christian moments, do you know what we're desiring for one another? I desire that you would be experiencing the richness of God's grace that is leading you into greater wholeness, that the shalom of God would be settling on your life more and more and more. And by the way, you want that for me too. That's a brother and a sister desiring that for each other. This is a season of life pressing us in a way that inevitably what is in us is coming out. And what I've seen in some of those I've served has been disheartening. But, but alongside that, I just need to confess that what I've seen come out of me is disheartening. I, I do not cast a stone. And in fact, I recognize the need to address the log in my eye before I have any righteous ability to address the speck in another. Heaven help us. There is a great deal that has discouraged me, but in this I, I take heart, that when push comes to shove, God has reminded me that I am not my own and that I do not live my life by statements or questions like, do I want to keep doing this? I don't live my life according to the determination that I don't need this. I don't live my life that way. I don't, I don't live my life simply by the question, you know, what else could I do? I don't live my life that way. Whatever Jesus says of me and whatever he gives me to do, that's who I am and that's what I'll be and that's what I will do. And as such, as Paul once said, so I now say again that I am a doulos of God, presently called to be a shepherd of a beautiful community of people unto Christ Jesus, who is the true shepherd of his sheep, and there will be benefit and welfare in them and for them because he loves them. This is where I've had to keep my focus. This is where I've had to keep my eyes in the season. Okay, I want to walk you through three quick points. I'm going to go quickly here because my time is coming up. I want to be honoring. I want to be honoring. You know, your pastor was a five to ten minute over at Mill Creek Foursquare kind of guy. <laughs> Not all the time. Not all the time. But that's my confession as well. He did that because I would normally do that. Yeah, all right, all right. I set, the, I set the culture and context. You were just following the lead. Yeah, 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 okay. So the disposition of a disciple, I want to walk you through quickly some, some other points of writing from the life of the Apostle Paul. These are helpful meditations in the season. They, they have ministered to my heart. I hope they do the same for you. Number one, we seek the common good. The disposition of a disciple, we seek the common good. Titus 3, 1 through 8. Here Paul directed Titus to remind and teach the people of the way of Jesus and the way in which the way of Jesus was to be made manifest through them. And it's strikingly different from what they learned about the culture. I've already described to you Cretan culture. Now listen to the way in which kingdom culture 
was to be in the midst of the Cretan culture. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Always to be gentle toward everyone. This is not a gentle age, but you are a gentle people. Has Christ been gentle with you? A bruised reed he will not break. So do not break another who's bruised. When you do, you are doing something against the will of God. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, no, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. How many of you need things that you can just trust right now? This is a trustworthy saying. <laughs> and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Followers of Jesus are, have eyes trained, hearts ready to be looking at what's profitable for everyone. We seek the common good, and there are many voices vying for our attention and allegiance, but only one is to be directive of our steps. Only one. We are called in Jesus to be a people who seek the benefit and good of others equal to or above even our own welfare. The way of Jesus is I prefer you above myself. If followers of Jesus would just live that way, just if it could just be that simple in this season, that would change a lot. Secondly, the disposition of a disciple. In grace, we garner strength to lay down our lives. In grace, and it's only grace that will accomplish this. The laying down of one's life when things are hard, ooh, it's only grace that will actually empower us to do this. Titus is a pastoral letter. Paul writes other pastoral letters, namely to Timothy. We have First and Second Timothy. Timothy stationed in Ephesus, one of the most important cities in the ancient world, and certainly one of the most important churches in the first century. And to Timothy he writes, Second Timothy chapter two, one through seven. You then, my son, being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, join with me in suffering like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules, and the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So Paul knew he was saying some things here to Timothy that he would really need to consider in his own situation and circumstances, just as we do. But ultimately, Paul calls on Timothy to continually find his strength where? In grace. In the generosity of God's heart towards him. Because we as followers of Jesus are going to absorb the lack of the generosity of heart towards us. We find the strength to lay our lives down, to follow our Lord Jesus 
that I have determined that I will live my life crucified as Christ. That, that's difficult. But it's grace that trains us to do it. We are to lay our lives down at present. And it will be Jesus who eventually notes every which way that we chose to follow him in doing this. And live for that day. Live for that day when he's the one who tells you how proud he is of you choosing to lay your life down. Now, then, always. The disposition of a disciple, we'll just close with this. Number three, we set our hearts and minds on Jesus. To the Colossians, Paul wrote in chapter three, since then you have been raised with Christ. You're already resurrected in Christ. You're experiencing resurrection life. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our devotion belongs to Jesus. Our meditation must be upon Jesus and his kingdom, nothing else. What we need right now is to behold the beauty of Jesus. We need to behold the beauty of Jesus. The church needs to stop and again see the beauty of Jesus. Who dines with sinners. Who stoops to wash the feet of those who are his. Who stops for the suffering. Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. Ah, My time's up. Okay? So the Lord bless and keep you always. You are a wonderful people. Thanks for time with you. Pastor. Wasn't that a great word? That was a nice walkthrough in the book of Titus, which we don't always hear from. I wrote this down, and I'm going to pray us out with this based on what Pastor Chris was teaching today. When we forget who we are, we say and do things that not only misrepresent Jesus, but hurt people and our relationship with them and our witness to them. When we forget who we are, I, uh, as we were praying, the Lord just highlighted, and it just, the disposition of a disciple is such that we can't forget who we are. When we do, we allow all kinds of things inside of us that come out of us and hurt people all around us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, do not allow a root of bitterness to grow up and defile many. Let me ask you a question as we close. Have you allowed bitterness in you during this season that has caused you to, in a way, forget who you are and what you're about? Are you offended? Are you bitter? Are you hurt? And projecting that to other people. And then you feel guilty that you're not being the Christian that you should be. Amen? It's a cycle. We forget who we are our disposition, our purpose, our way in this world. We hurt people, and that comes as a cycle and doesn't only stop with that. It keeps going. 
Bitterness grows up and defiles many. I believe we, as we close, the best thing we could do is, number one, we pray that God would remind us of our disposition as followers of Christ to serve others, not ourselves. But also, I want to deal with any roots of bitterness. So as I pray, will you, will you ask the Lord to search your heart and see if there is a root of bitterness there? Because in His presence, we give that to the Lord, and God will take it from you. He wants it gone more than you do. Isn't that amazing? It's all about surrender. I'm going to pray. Let's search our hearts just for a moment. Father, we thank you today for this word from the book of Titus. God, we thank you that you're reminding us of our disposition, that we are learners and followers of the words and ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we do. And God, we can admit today, as Pastor Chris has been so vulnerable and open with us, we can admit that we might have allowed a root of bitterness to grow up, to defile. And maybe we're trying to stop that cycle, but it just keeps projecting. It keeps coming out of our mouth and coming out of our, our mind and the things that we do, the things that we say. And I just pray right now that you would bring your conviction, but also your encouragement right here into this moment so that we can surrender to you and we can have a divine exchange. Thank you, Lord. Just for a moment right there, just if God touches your heart with some kind of bitterness that you might have, and maybe you see a face in your mind, maybe you're thinking of a person or a situation, and you just can't, you can't unlock that thing. You haven't been able to dislodge the effect of, of something that's happening in a relationship. There's, there's a rift that you have not been able to get past. There's grace from the Holy Spirit today to help us do what we have not been able to do. God can help you with the bitterness. God can take that from you and replace it with joy and love that is not based out of what somebody has done for you. It's based out of the love of Jesus Christ. He can give that to you. That's the truth. So if that's you today and you're dealing with some kind of bitterness, some kind of relational conflict you recognize that you need to serve others around you and love them even if you haven't received love in return. Can you just acknowledge that by raising your hand in the presence of the Lord today? You just felt the conviction on that. Yeah, there's several. I'm just going to wait a moment. If that's you, just raise your hand. If it's not, don't raise your hand. If it's you, just raise your hand. We're just acknowledging there's something. It's come to your attention as, we, as Pastor Chris shared and as I prayed. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you right now. We surrender that to you. Just go ahead and, and surrender that. Just give it to Jesus. Lord, I give it to you. Father, we thank you for a great exchange right now. We ex exchange it for joy. We exchange it for peace. We exchange it for love. We ask that you would redirect our heart in grace and love toward people. Let us be like the one that we're following. Thank you that you've given us a great example to follow in the Lord Jesus Christ who when he was ridiculed, did not ridicule in return. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. You've shown us the way, and we choose to follow you, and we love you. We love you, Lord. We say yes to you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.